Hi, everyone. This is Jules, your host of the All Things Eisen podcast. Welcome to this week's episode. I had the absolute honor of interviewing Ausloig Arna Sigurbjörsdottir, who is the Minister of Justice in Iceland. I was pleasantly surprised that she was able to join me for this chat because she leads an incredibly busy life as a parliamentarian. Her perseverance, upbeat attitude, and openness about her job is inspiring. And the fact that she's the youngest woman ever to be a minister is also just an honor to have her to be able to talk about her experience, to share about that path to becoming a minister. I mean, it's just a huge deal to become a minister at her age and also to be in a role that it gets highly criticized. I mean, there are other ministers who, I'm not saying they don't get criticized, but being the minister of justice definitely holds a lot of power and is one that is put out in the forefront of many different issues, whether it's about refugees, about cases, you know, regarding equality, all different sorts of things. During the interview, Ausloig Arna shares the positive and negatives of being in this position of power at such a young age and as a woman. Some of the other topics we talk about are the events that led up to her becoming the Minister of Justice, gender-based discrimination in the workplace, including within Parliament. We talk about refugees seeking asylum in Iceland, the huge scandal involving the Icelandic police commissioner at the time when she came into office. She had to tackle that head-on when she took that role, which must not have been easy. And other topics that I'm grateful that she was willing to talk about during this interview. Before I jump into the episode, I'm just going to remind you that I am doing a New Year giveaway that is exclusive to my podcast listeners. This is your last chance to enter the giveaway before it closes on January 29th. There will be three lucky winners for the giveaway. What I'm giving away are three books by Andre Snyder, who is an award-winning Icelandic author. And his most recent publication, On Time and Water, is not available in the U.S. yet. It will be available in March, so you will get early access to it if you are in the U.S. And that one is about climate change, but in a way that weaves together personal aspects from Andre, as well as an interview with the Dalai Lama and Andre Snai's grandmother in Iceland. Super interesting, to say the least. The other book is Love Star, which is a science fiction novel that is my personal favorite of Andre's, and it's based in Iceland. Also, if you like humorous science fiction or just science fiction that does kind of come off as a bit absurd, which a lot of science fiction does, but in my opinion, a more humorous way, such as Douglas Adams, who wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, or Kurt Vonnegut, who wrote Slaughterhouse-Five, then I really think you will enjoy this book for sure. I mean, it's one that I highly recommend to people. And the last one is The Story of the Blue Planet, which is considered a children's book. And the New York Times said about it, and I quote, a Susian mix of wonder, wit, and gravitas, end quote. So even though it is considered a children's book, it's definitely one that adults can enjoy. I mean, I enjoyed it when I read it. So it's for sure in a fascinating book. And I think all of them are great reads and ones that people will enjoy reading. All you have to do to enter the win a book, which is super simple, is to leave a review of the All Things Iceland podcast. 
Take a screenshot of it and then email it to me at jules at from foreign to familiar.com. Of course, the email address will be in the show notes of this episode. I also have a link to my special review page, which is will also be in the show notes. And that makes it super easy for you to leave a review if you're listening via Apple Podcast, Podchaser, Stitcher, and CastBox, among some other platforms, I believe. If you're using another platform that I didn't mention and allows for you to leave reviews, please leave one there. If you have already left a review for the podcast, all you need to do is screenshot that review and send it to me. Super simple. This contest will be open until January 29th, 2021. Lastly, if you are a member of the All Things Iceland Patreon community and you leave a review, screenshot it and send it to me, you will receive an additional entry in the draw for the giveaway. For anyone who would like to join as a member of the All Things Iceland community on Patreon, the link is in the show notes. As I've mentioned previously, I do Ask Me Anythings every month. I do live chats every month. I do a folklore Friday, a new folklore story that's based in Iceland. Every Friday I post that and I don't post it anywhere else as well as I do special announcements about things and sometimes behind the scenes content. Every week I share the articles of the Icelandic News Roundup. So lots of variety of cool content over on that platform. And as I mentioned, it is exclusive to that platform. So only those members get to see it and enjoy it. So for everyone who decides to enter the giveaway, Ganki Thier Vel, which means good luck in Icelandic. Welcome. Thank you so much. And I, I know you're crazy busy. I mean, even though people, you're not allowed to meet with people because of COVID and everything. Well, not many people. Uh, we, when we were texting before, it was like, I'm running from parliament. I'll be there. <laughs> you know? so I really appreciate you taking the time out to chat with me and to share about your experience as the Minister of Justice. It's so awesome that a young woman is in this role. And yeah, just thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we could make it work. I mean, my life is pretty much running be, yeah, from one place to another and from one case to another. So yeah, yeah. but I'm very glad I could join you today. Yeah, likewise. And so we'll just kind of jump into a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Because in the past, before you were the Minister of Justice, you were a journalist at Morgenbladet, you were a police officer. I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> this is not what I was expecting. And so just, you know, in regards to the police officer one, was that a challenging role for you? Because around the world, like being a police officer is really intense. And I don't have any insight to what it's like being a police officer in Iceland besides like the Instagram, which is like super fun. <laughs> you have Loglan. So could yeah. you talk a little bit about your experience as a police officer? Yeah, I loved being a police officer. Although some of okay. the things you experience on the job is quite difficult to witness, especially when it involves children. But of course, we have very low uh, crime rate, uh, but still it can be very tough. But it's yeah. somehow good to be the person that is helping out in the in the bad situation. Um, and I truly respect the work that police officers do. And I'm glad I was able to gain a little insight into their work before I entered politics. It helped me maybe better to uh, understand how important police work really is here and in protecting communities and the people there and... Uh, of course, uh, also just different sides of the job. 
So yeah, yeah I, I loved it. It was a good experience for me before I came into politics and of course now in this ministry especially. Yeah. Did you ever consider just being like, you know what, maybe I'll just stay a police officer? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, I thought like, if I was not so much into politics, I would mm -hmm. gladly just be a police officer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and speaking of that, regarding politics, you started getting involved in politics quite young. I mean, you're still young, but <laughs> meaning like in terms of the average age of a yeah. parliamentarian, you know, just if you take it from there. And, you know, you were active in your party, Shalvsai the Slokorin, pretty early. And that means independence party for people who are curious. Mm -hmm. So what was your, like, do you know, like from a very young age that you wanted to be a politician? Was this something, like, were you inspired by somebody? Like, how did this come about for you? I was always very political, but never sure I wanted to be a politician. Uh, I remember maybe thinking that it might be a good idea when I would become older, uh, maybe mm -hmm. after a career in law or something else, that, uh, yeah. it would be wiser to go into politics uh, when you are a bit older. And uh, uh, my mother always encouraged me to speak my mind, and I was very vocal mm -hmm. with my opinions at early age. And my family was, or my father was involved in the party, uh, but I wasn't pressured to go there at all. Not at okay. all. Um, but my grandmother says uh, she always knew I'd go down this path. And some of my childhood friends mm. say the same. Uh, I guess they knew maybe before I did <laughs> that it, this would be my career. Um, some of them say today, like, I told you so. <laughs> um, but I'm very happy with my career path. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Life kind of took over. And I've always been happy to take on bigger roles and more responsibility. Yeah. One thing led to another, I guess, but I also, it came across uh, at a meeting in the Independence Party when I was asking, like, why isn't our political group younger? Where is the mm. young people uh, in bigger roles? Do you trust young people? And when I was yeah. asking people um, in the big roles in the party this question, I, uh, I found out, like, they are not able to answer that. We need to step forward. We need to ask mm -hmm. for the bigger roles. Uh, and then we can ask why they don't trust us if they don't. So then I ran against uh, uh, now the uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs. He was then the secretary mm -hmm. of the party, which is like the second vice chair. Um, okay. And he stepped back and they trusted me for that big role in the party when I was 25. After nice. yeah, uh, kind of uh, when I watched that speech back now, like five years later, I, yeah, I was uh, quite dramatic, but I really asked the party if they could trust young people, if they meant it and uh, would like us to be in big roles in the party. Yeah, I think that's great, though. And the fact that you have that innate ability to freely and speak your mind, and of course you were encouraged, but also at the same time, it's like, you might as well just put it all out there and be like, do you want this or not, right? Like, who's going to take over the party? It has to come <laughs> from the next generation. So why yeah. not? Yeah, like you can't just complain. You need to step forward as well. Yeah, yeah. So I, absolutely. And, and the Independence Party has uh, trusted uh, young women now in uh, two big roles in the uh, Ministry of Justice and the Ministry of Tourism and Innovation. Um, and we are both the youngest uh, ministers since nineteen what twenty seven, I think. Whoa! So, yeah. <laughs> Before the country was independent. So. Yeah, so since then we are both the youngest ones. Yeah, okay, that's amazing. Mm. And you're a lawyer, 
And so, and your father though is a Supreme Court lawyer. Mm-hmm. And so, was it, you know, because you mentioned that you're, you we didn't have any pressure from your family to join the party, but did you feel like you wanted to follow after your father and being a lawyer? Was that some influence there or inspiration? Yeah, definitely some of it. Uh, my father is a great lawyer and has a lot of passion for what he does. Uh, that definitely influences you as a child. And I was inspired also uh, by my late mother, who was a school teacher. Mm. And I inherited uh, a passion for education from her. And before I became Minister of Justice, I focused a lot on the education system in Parliament uh, with some okay. ideas and bills as well as other issues. Um, so I think I took uh, influence from them both. Uh, I was influenced okay. from them both. And uh, yeah, of course, you are inspi- inspired by your parents a lot. And But I maybe never thought I would be like a lawyer lawyer, like a <laughs> Supreme Court lawyer. Uh, yeah, that is, yeah. Uh, too much job that you're alone in your computer. <laughs> I'm so much people person. I need to be around people yeah. a lot. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I guess that's out of the question in terms of your personality. You're not yeah. sure you'd be great at it. Uh, maybe and later. Actually, I, I have some years left. Yeah, true. <laughs> some years. You're like just getting started. <laughs> so, um, but I'm just curious because, you know, you have. You mentioned that you got this bigger role in your party, but did you ever think that becoming Minister of Justice would happen so quickly? Meaning like at this point in your career, did you think that in politics, because a lot of times there could be like, you know, bureaucracy or whatever else, that it would take you longer to get to this stage in life or your career? Yeah, of course. I mean, um, I think it would, I would not have... uh, any idea that it would happen so fast. So, um, and this has somehow, um, but I've always asked for bigger roles and I've always been very enthusiastic about that young people are in big roles and in parliament and in government as well. So of course I uh, ask for it and is very vocal about how important it is to have variety in a group and in a government mm-hmm. and in a party and in the parliament, uh, it's very important that the people are is not the same. So, right. of course, I didn't believe it would happen so fast. Uh, but, yeah. But it has. <laughs> it you has. Are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and in, in your role, I mean, there's a lot of stigma, I feel like, when it comes to, you know, government and the idea of who should be in it. Like, usually it's older white men who are, in government and in Iceland, obviously, it's a majority white country. So I'm talking a little bit from a U.S. perspective, but uh, but here, in terms of you mentioning like you're one of the youngest justices, mm. how is it in terms of perception of your skills or you know the idea that people you know think that because you're young, maybe this is too soon for you to be in a role mm. like this? Is that the type of things that you've heard or, you know, about your gender, for instance, because there's a whole lot. I mean, even though Iceland is way more in terms of, you know, closing the gender gap when it comes to pay and gender equality and things like this, there's still issues. So I'm just Mm -hmm. wondering, like, have you Mm -hmm. had this experience with people projecting onto you their ideas of like, whether or not you're too young, you're a woman and, you know, in politics and all that? 
Yes, of course. Uh, I'm, uh, but of course, I can't complain in my place where I am. I mean, uh, of course, I'm very grateful for that trust yeah. and uh, every support I've uh, had in my political career so far. But uh, public discussions on men and women in position of power is quite different still in Iceland. Yeah. And I'm happy to debate in my actions or decision if the criticism is constructive. But I mainly criticize maybe like in this path, like you were mentioning, for being inexperienced. That mm. is very clear in the days and weeks leading up to being appointed minister when the discussion was about who would be appointed. Um, yeah. And I realized, of course, that I'm very young, but I'm not inexperienced. And I had already chaired two big committees in parliament before mm. I became a minister. And I also believe that young people should have a voice in parliament uh, like I said before, and I can't be sure, but I somehow doubt that if I were a man that I would receive such a lot of criticism for my age and experience. Maybe yeah. the, I, I, I can't say, but uh, of course I'm, uh, I've been trusted for very big roles. And But the discussion uh, in the weeks leading up being appointed minister was quite, yeah, enlightening. In seeing how, <laughs> enlightening, <laughs> how <people> okay. <laughs> how people talked yeah yeah okay yeah i can definitely also of course surprise people maybe people that really thought i couldn't do this job uh, one Mm. year ago Uh, they have many of them have changed uh, their opinion on that and has written me emails and something on social media and uh, yeah like older people that said like uh, you got me wrong you got me wrong girl (laughs) so wow that's really nice to be yeah. able to like to turn people around just with your work ethic that's because yeah and i think <laughs> yeah. i just i mean young people just need to show uh, uh, why they can handle such a big job and i think yeah. i've been doing that for the last year yeah. i hope so and yeah in 2017 you were on kaslios with your some of your other fellow female parliamentarians talking about gender-based discrimination in parliament so specifically around you know your own experiences Mm -hmm. and getting unwanted comments sexual comments getting you know people saying things like you got to where you are because you slept with someone in your party and not because Mm -hmm. of your skills Mm -hmm. and so i'm just wondering you know it's been three years and not to say that's a very long time because it takes a while for a a shift in anything but is this still a big problem within parliaments or in other industries in Iceland, gender-based discrimination specifically? Um, in my opinion, the discussion around the Me Too movement revealed some sad truths, of course. It did everywhere, I think, um, and in Iceland uh, as well. But the good news is that we now discuss boundaries openly, what is okay mm. and what isn't, and how we have experienced things differently and so on. And that is a discussion that uh, I would say uh, would n- never have been taken place in a parliamentary group before. Um, mm, okay. And between parliamentarians, uh, what is okay and what isn't and uh, how we have experienced it and so on. And we have shared that and talked and that is a very positive thing. Um, yeah. And I think just that uh, move us much uh, much forward and uh, and I think the Me Too movement in whole was a positive thing uh, and we will result in positive change as well uh, but we still have a long way to go in this aspect and other aspects concerning gender equality even though we are luckily to be in the forefront in that area here in Iceland 
that we still need to do better. And this discussion really, I think, yeah, we had a lot of growth in the discussion about it. And that is a big step just to yeah. be, uh, be able to talk about uh, like boundaries and these things with your male, uh, yeah, male parliamentarians, for example. Yeah, absolutely. That's great to hear. There's this more open discussion because, yeah, when I read that about that, I was just like, oh, this is everywhere. <laughs> you know, it's so frustrating. Mm, yeah. And of course, it's like, yeah, of course you expect it to some degree, but it's still not easy knowing that like you already have a lot going on, a lot of pressure. And then you have this other part that's like, it's completely unnecessary <laughs> to have to be yeah. dealing with this in life. And, yeah. I, I think, yeah, I, I think it it, uh, it was very important. I, I thought like before going on Castleos to discuss it, I was like, would it weak me as a politician? Would I be weaker mm. afterwards by speaking about this out loud? But then I thought me thinking about it, that is a part of the dilemma we are trying to erase. Um, yeah. So, uh, but I, and I said that on national television that uh, I was a bit afraid that me being there would weak me as a parliamentarian, uh, but yeah. it didn't. Um, and I think it was very important to have uh, women there from different parties and yeah. Great. The political landscape. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember funny enough when you were appointed about a year ago or more than a year ago, that there was a huge scandal going on <laughs> at the time, with the um, police commissioner and you basically came into this role and then having like being thrust in with this scandal, having to like figure it out and then having to appoint a new uh, police commissioner later on and things like that. So how was that? Was that like an indication of the job being like, mm. you just rolling into this huge thing that's going on and having to deal with it. And then you had worked in the police too. So that must've been kind of interesting having that perspective as having been a police officer, but yeah, how has it been for you since then? Has it been like a nonstop kind of roller coaster ride? Yeah, it's uh, interesting that you remember that because I feel so long ago. It has so many things happened since, but yeah, yeah it was just a couple of days after I was appointed. Um, but it was a very tough situation, which had reached on uh, maybe on some boiling point by the time I was appointed. Yeah. Um, and I just sat down with my advisors and we found a way to calm the situation down and move forward. And of course, that's your project and every hard uh, things that come at you when you are a minister. It's not only what you want to uh, pursue or do, but only, of course, all the things that just happen that you need to um, uh, deal with. So the former National Police Commissioner retired and a new one was appointed. And the major overhaul of the Icelandic police is underway. And I think we have changed a lot since then. We have, uh, there is uh, more, um, the police officers or the, the commissioners around the, uh, Iceland are uh, talking more together. And we have, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think we have moved quite, yeah, fast after this. And of course it was um, a little bit crazy for the first days. But I mean, yeah. if you could deal with that, you you are ready for the next fight as well. Yeah, baptism, baptism by fire, some people <laughs> call it. So, so what do you enjoy about your job? Because there's a lot that happens a lot and it's probably quite stressful, it seems. So what is it that really kind of gets you up every day and it's like, yes, this is what I was meant to do. What do you like? Um, so many things. I mean, uh, the ministry is, of course, first and foremost deals with people and that can 
be tough because people run into trouble or have a difficult time. And during those yeah. times, the institutions under my ministry are where they need to resolve their issues. Um, and that's definitely the hardest part. Um, and sometimes people are like, why this ministry? Um, and I said, like, why not? Uh, yeah. Uh, it's very important roles here, very important cases that we can do better. And um, and what drives me is just uh, people uh, that we can make life easier for people. We can assess more freedom. We can uh, uh, do things that way that it would uh, make a difference for people. And when you hear that from people, uh, mm -hmm. it encourages you to move on and uh to help people res resolve the, the, those issues and so on. So, yeah, uh, I would definitely say that uh, people is my drive first and foremost. Yeah. Um, but also just to be trusted with this position and uh, you have that position to make a change and that can really matter. Um, uh, you really wake up in the morning and start working. Yeah, definitely. And what is most challenging for you or do you find with this job? Um, maybe just uh, the cases that comes up that just is about people and uh, uh, that's definitely the hardest part when you see people like you and me who have families and life run into trouble or hardship and yeah. our system is not somehow not working as well as it we want it to be um, of course that's the hardest and of course um, you can't always solve uh, uh, case by case, you need to see what's wrong with the system, look mm -hmm. at it from uh, that uh, side, and um, um, that can be tough to hear yeah. sad stories from people and uh, that the system is not working their way. Yeah, definitely. And, of course, when you make a decision, that sometimes is not... If I, I, I'm, I'm going to assume most of the time when you make it, if not all, there's at least... <laughs> A group of people who don't agree, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, part of politics. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, how do you go about dealing with this criticism? Because I know you know it's a part of your job, but at the same time, you're a person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, That's true. So, how do you do that? Yeah. Um, I, if I'm confident in my position, uh, I think it's easier to deal with public criticism. It's yeah. only when people get maybe nasty or personal that, of course, I find it hard like other people. But still, you get used to it, even that, over time. Um, uh, but skin. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and I, I've been active in my political party since I was 20. So yeah. now it's 10 years. And I've always been very vocal about what I think. And I've had a lot of criticism even when I was very young. Um but that's just part of it. Uh, but if you like feel good and you know that that was, you feel good with your decision, uh, yeah. you, yeah, you can move that away. But oh, people also need to know that politicians are persons. And I also want to show that like on my Instagram that I, I do normal things as other people uh, to also sell politics because politics is, it's great to be a, in politics and it, yeah, you can make a difference. Yeah. And do you think that younger people are being inspired by seeing people like yourself in politics and wanting to get involved? I definitely hope so. That would be one of my biggest dreams. Um, and I've gotten like emails from young girls in school that are, mm. they are doing projects in their school and they should speak to someone that is 
uh, in a job they would like. And but to get an email from a 13 or 14 year old girl that wants yeah. to be Minister of Justice, uh, that makes my day. It's something <laughs> that gets me also at, in the morning to do my job. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. And how do you, yeah, how do you de-stress? Because you mentioned like on your Instagram, your Instagram is more personal, like you, like you had um, yeah. talked about. So I've seen you like on walks and things like that. So what is your like de-stressing routine from all of the things going on? Um, maybe f uh, horse riding first okay. uh, in the Icelandic nature. That is amazing. And hiking and walking uh, as well. And CrossFit used to be my means of stress relief, but during the pandemic, I'm yeah. try, trying to take in a jogging. Um, my brother and I even started a 100 kilometer challenge this past month. Uh, nice. And a lot of friends joined in on it. And I've never really been into jogging. It's not enough fun or action for me, but the competition definitely made it more fun. And I exactly. <laughs> finished it on my birthday, the 30th of November. Wow, nice. um, so yeah, um, I think that's uh, what it means to uh, what is my stress relief and dinner with few close friends and a glass of wine also does the trick just to talk with your friends and family and yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm also very good at sleeping. That's very important. That is super important. I think people really don't realize that sleeping is probably one of the most healthy health, things you could do for self-care. Yeah. It definitely so, yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a good sleeper too. I love sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, better come on. Yeah. Okay. And in terms of bills, because there are different bills that you've put forward and mm -hmm. a lot of it is, you know, not a lot of it, but sometimes can be regarding things that are considered Icelandic tradition, like the naming committee, right? I feel like this is a hot debate because when I put it on Instagram, like my Instagram news stories, there were foreigners who were like, no, don't get rid of the Icelandic naming committee. <laughs> so, and for people who don't know, the naming committee basically like governs, you know, the, the, the names that people can name their children here in Iceland. There is a, a system, right? So can you talk a bit about that and like the naming committee one in particular, because I find that one probably to be the most fascinating that people have responded to so intensely. <laughs> Yes, oh, that that is a bill that is close to my heart. I really want to get it through Parliament, and okay. uh, um, so I trust people. Uh, the bottom line of the bill is I trust people far better than the government to decide and choose the name for their children. Uh, this committee is only thirty years old or twenty nine. It isn't that old. It isn't okay. that much of Icelandic traditions. Even though we have had a lot of rules around Icelandic names and um, so on during the years, but yeah. somehow Icelanders still, before the committee was on, managed to find proper names for their children without it <laughs> for hundreds of years before it was created. Yeah. And Iceland has also become multicultural, and we have to adjust to changing times in this regard, as a, in all other aspects of our society. So yeah. that is, of course, uh, one, uh, yeah. Uh, one thing to it as well, but uh, I think it's it's just like to protect Icelandic as a language. Of course, we want to protect it, and we all really want to hold on to it. We know it's special. We know we are very few people that speak that language, and so on. But I don't think the naming committee is the one that will uh, hold on to the uh, Icelandic tradition. I think if Icelanders want to speak Icelandic, we will speak Icelandic. So yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, and, and it was fun to like uh, show people names that uh, where maybe they thought was a very Icelandic old name that is forbidden and then name that they think is ridiculous that is allowed because mm. it only needs to like be the perfect grammar and that type of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's a bit at odds, basically, like the how things have rolled out. And it's funny, I didn't realize the naming committee was that young. Um, no. Just because you hear about it so much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and the oh, same yes. thing of like I I know of people not have been who have been denied, but who have talked about having to go through this process, you know. Mm. And so I just think it's really fascinating. And I've also heard of foreigners who've moved here who had to change their name oh, when so they became all the time. Citizens. That was like that. Yeah. And I need like, to took one Icelandic name up. So. Yeah, and I was like, um, I really like my name. <laughs> so that was exactly. so I'm glad that's not the case. I mean, anymore. name is such so much of your personality. It's like yeah. identifies you, and uh, why should someone else uh, control your name other than yeah. you? And also, like this, uh, of course, our beautiful uh, naming uh, tradition, and that we uh, are, we don't have this typical surnames. That we right. take on our father's or mother's name and we are their son and daughter in the end. Uh, of course, it's beautiful tradition, but still, why do we forbidden people that don't want to have that tradition? Maybe because they have a bad, uh, um, they don't speak to their parents. Uh, I mean, uh, they were maybe had abusive co uh, uh, connection to their childhood. parents yeah. Yeah, in the childhood and so on. So, I mean, we need to make our system that as easily for people as we can. So yeah. that is, it's one part of it. There is a, another bill that came up recently, or at least a change to a bill about allowing people who make a certain amount of money to come and live in Iceland, kind of like digital nomads. And as of recently, this has been going around the, the different uh, boards for like travel and stuff about Iceland's letting in tourists but only if they make this amount of money and it's like uh like it's a, it's a very um clickbaity title <laughs> and i was even in one being like that's not true this is what the reason you know but like and could you explain a little bit because i think it's something like eighty thousand or something dollars that you have yeah. to be making a year in order mm -hmm. to come and live in iceland for uh, around six months or whatever the time frame is mm -hmm. so could you explain why that particular change was made and like the purpose of it we are very open-minded to get people here that want to come to work or bring their job here. And somewhere we need to start because uh, that is, of course, a big discussion in the European area and as well in Iceland and uh, 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 the discussion on the uh, for workers. Um, and I think we, we want everybody in that wants to visit us and uh, enjoy our uh, beautiful country. But this was like a, a one idea that uh, during COVID, during people having uh, different jobs that they can like uh, be at home, they could just live in a small town in Iceland and do their job mm -hmm. on the computer and go on a kayak or skiing or, I mean, have more freedom than in many countries around the world uh, now yeah. during the pandemic. So this was, this was maybe like a trial, the first step. We want to see how it would go. Uh, if people would use it and maybe mm -hmm. that would help Icelandic to get in contact with people that have certain kind of jobs for innovation and some uh, important uh, challenging that they could, uh, yeah, widen our perspective on things and so on. So that was maybe the first step. 
I think yeah. it was an important one, uh, and we want to like uh, we need more people. <laughs> yeah. We are Iceland. We uh, definitely <laughs> um, need more people, and uh, but we also need to uh, have our our system and our things built up for it, so we can. Um, of course, uh, the tourist growth was enormous for yeah. few years. I mean. Uh, when I was a police officer, we had like, wow, we have 500,000 tourists a year. That's massive. Like <laughs> four years later, we had 2.5 million. Yeah. So uh, we, yeah. of course, everything was like, okay, we need to, our infrastructure, our health system, our roads. I mean, everything mm-hmm. was not made for so many people. And right. then our nature and our, all the, I mean, what people are visiting in Iceland and what they want to see and enjoy, we also need to see uh, where are we at and the police force need to be ready yeah. to save all the tourists that doesn't uh, that get lost in the highlands and uh, our rescue system and so on. So, yeah, it's uh, it, this was a stepping stone in uh, trying to uh, make Iceland a place for uh, workers abroad that wants to bring yeah. a job here. Great. I know a lot of people, so just to give you an idea, there are definitely people from Iceland that watch the this YouTube channel and listen to the podcast. But there are also, of course, a lot, probably way more, <laughs> that are outside of Iceland and, and a lot of them outside of Europe, specifically outside of the Schengen area, mm-hmm. who are hoping that at some point Iceland will be open to them. Because I know, like, mm-hmm. I hear, I get emails and messages from people all the time, like, is it really hard to move? <laughs> like, and so is this, you know, you say you like a stepping stone. Is the stepping stone to eventually get it so that people who are outside of the Schengen area can have an easier time when it comes to moving to Iceland or living here? Yeah, of course. Um, and uh, we have, we need to take an account, account that we are, of course, part of the European uh, um, system with free movement of people inside that area. And we need to have some rules uh, but we still uh, need, as my opinion and my party, that if people that want to come to work here and be mm-hmm. here for longer than we allow today outside of Schengen, we want to right. make that possible. Um, yeah. um, and But that is a big discussion in the parliament, uh, that way of coming to Iceland. Um, because, of course, always this discussion, like in every other country, but should Icelanders be first at the job? Uh, should they be competing with everyone in the world or just the same yeah. area or, you know, uh, that is the discussion. But uh, for I'm 100% sure that uh, Iceland needs need more people. We need uh, uh, and we are a country that is growing very fast. And I think after the pandemic, I think we will be quite fast on our feet again. Um, and uh, of course, uh, we are working towards that. And uh, I'm quite positive we will take some small steps but uh, yeah. uh, to aim uh, to get more people that also come here and live with us and yeah, yeah. okay make, make our society more brighter and yeah yeah. Well, and, yeah exactly a lot of people are very happy to hear that by the way right mm-hmm. now. <laughs> so uh, i'm going to change the topic just a bit mainly because i think it's important because you're in this role especially of minister of justice around refugees and so there are so many high profile cases, well, not so many, but you know what I mean? Like you, when you hear about mm-hmm. them, it is really hard because mm-hmm. I don't know the law and a lot of other people don't know the law who are sometimes having their own opinions <laughs> about it. And so I'm just wondering, um, and you don't have to go, of course, into any case specifically, just more about 
you know, when we hear about individuals who've been here for many years and they might be sent back to where they were fleeing from, fleeing from danger or whatever that danger might have been, what is it, if anything, in Icelandic law is making it maybe difficult for the Icelandic government to allow these people to stay? Yeah, there have been some high-profile cases involving children where the process mm-hmm. has been too slow and they've had to wait for too long uh, for a decision in their case. Of course, uh, this is like uh, in 10 years' time, it had grown from maybe we saw 35 person come here to ask for uh, it and until then we got 1,000 and now we are around 800 a year and our system just wasn't ready um, yeah. and really needed to like speed up with all the changes and what is Europe doing and we need to make a whole new uh, law about uh, uh, refugees and uh, how we would welcome them. And we did that with all the parties together. That was Mm, very important. Uh, um, But uh, the cases that uh, you were speaking about has led to some procedural changes where we have taken into account the needs for people to get the just and timely result in their applications. Um, And the system is meant for refugees in need for asylum um, and those in need for asylum uh, by uh, the human, um, uh, what is the name of that? Yeah, uh, they will get refugee in Iceland, but we need to Uh prioritize for those who are in the uh, most desperate situation and in need for asylum and they will uh, get it here. And we uh, are having more here per capita than all the other Nordic countries, for example, uh, we are both having more uh, people coming here, but also accepting more. So we are, of course, doing our part and we need to do it well. And these matters are delicate and involve people and they're all, always sensitive. And um, mm-hmm. the hardest um, cases because it doesn't come on the table of the minister. We have put mm-hmm. up a system that is uh, without political involvement in one and one case because we want we doesn't want that and all the human rights committees they have said that this is the best way to have it it shouldn't be political uh, decision on one and one case we should make yeah. the law and the system and i think we can still do better and i'm working towards that goal both for children that are coming here but also to answer more quickly um, the cases that eventually get no gets no yeah. from the system and that is where we need to discuss uh, the people that really just come here for a better life and want a job and they shouldn't come through the asylum system right uh, so we need to get that system better at the same time uh, we are like having the asylum system for the people in the most need yeah yeah okay yeah so uh, before I wrap this up, I just want to ask, I have two more questions, basically, okay. for you. And one of them is, we had already talked about, you know, people, young people getting into politics, but people of all different ages might be interested. What advice do you have for those people who have said, like, in their brain, they might have thought, like, oh, maybe this is something I should get involved in? Um, first, be brave. Um, and don't be afraid to voice your views and ideas. I mean, size the opportunity when it arises and uh, try to be positive and maybe as well informed as possible and mm. take part in debate and write articles. I mean, there's always room to improve your skills. 
but you won't improve unless you go out there and try. So uh, what I always say to young people and just all people, don't be afraid. I mean, don't, that, and that is about everything, not only politics. Yeah. I mean, uh, don't be afraid to ask for a higher salary. Don't be afraid of quit your mm. job. Don't be afraid of change your work and ask for a new job or, I mean, uh, move to a different country. I mean, it doesn't get experience unless you try and you don't know how far you get unless you try. Yeah, definitely. For sure. And I'm definitely one of those people along with you. Go for it. Right. Yeah, the go risk, for it. It, feel, it always feels so much more riskier when you're thinking it over than when you're actually doing mm -hmm. it most of the yeah. time. That's true. Um, yeah. All right. And the last question is, what is your favorite Icelandic word or phrase? Okay, uh, this one, is, I love that question. Um, <laughs> uh, and I have a piece of uh, art in my office that okay. reads, Engin veit neitt en virum öll að gera okkar besta. Which in English would be something yeah. like, uh, nobody knows everything, but we are all trying our best. Mm. And it reminds me to seek like plenty of advice, uh, not take myself too seriously, work hard and be well informed on the issues. But also, like, calm down. Nobody knows everything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Don't be too because much Because we sometimes doubt, or, yeah, I mean, everybody doubts themselves at times. And yeah. you need to remind yourself that nobody knows everything, so. Yeah, great. Well, Auslöge, Asna, this has been a pleasure. And I hope in the future, when things have calmed down with COVID, I can actually meet you in person. That'd be nice. Yes, <laughs> that would be lovely. <laughs> but I, I'm sure the people watching and listening are very appreciative of you sharing your knowledge, your experience, and also just giving us a bit of your time um, so we can get a chance to know you a bit better. So I really appreciate it and thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be on your platform. Thank you.